<laughs> morning, everyone. Morning, and welcome to our service this morning. And anyone indeed who's watching online, very welcome to join us as well. I have a few announcements just to, to go through. Um, Keswick Convention uh, started yesterday in Port Stewart. Um, it goes from the 9th to the 15th of July. And uh, I know you might feel it's a wee bit far to go, but if you, you can go online, and I highly recommend uh, listening to some of the, the, the teaching. There's some great Bible teaching comes from Keswick. Um, also with regards to our little Blaze, Blaze the Bee, which we have, he's somewhere over the Mediterranean at the moment uh, with Karen Cardi, but Blaze is a little bee that we have and we're trying to teach our children about global mission. So if you would like to take Blaze, this little toy with you uh, on an adventure, on a holiday, even a day or two that if you're going away, please sign up at the back and we'll get Blaze to you if he's available. And there's a little journal, so by the end of the summer, hopefully, the journal will be filled with all the adventures of Blaze and where he's been and the witness that, that in the different countries that he's been to, uh, what God has been doing will be included in that as well. So, uh, Ballycrock and Sism. Uh, Sism is back this year from Monday the 8th to Saturday the 13th of August. And uh, we're in the process of organizing food uh, for the team lead of leaders. If anyone would, would be prepared to help by either preparing food or serving on the Tuesday and Wednesday, either lunch or evening, please let Tom Henry know. Um, Zoom prayer times. Uh, we have, normally we have a prayer meeting on, by Zoom. Uh, John Armstrong arranges that usually every Friday morning. But we've taken a wee break from that over the summer as people go on holiday. But the Friday morning meetings will resume again in September. And over the summer, there are going to be two evening prayer times planned. Uh, Wednesday the 20th of July and Wednesday the 3rd of August, each starting at 8 p.m. And... Uh, can I just encourage you to think about that? Maybe you haven't been at a prayer meeting uh, for a long time. Maybe you've never been at a prayer meeting. Please, I'd just like to invite you to come along. You don't have to pray out loud. We're just going to, we need to, to, prayer is the powerhouse of the church. And, uh, and it's so important that we pray and that we increase the amount of prayer in this place. So please come along. There'll be no intimidation. There'll be no pressure for you to pray out loud. Just come uh, and spend some time with us in God's presence. And you can see in the order of service, you'll see the wee login details. If you're not sure about how to do it, it's very, very simple. Uh, you can ask John Armstrong and he'll let you know uh, all the details about it. Uh, there's uh, the sponsored All Age August Challenge. Um, that is about uh, sponsoring uh, maybe a team, you maybe could be your family to walk. Uh, and uh, the sign-up date for this is Friday the 15th of July. There will be prizes for those who walk the most steps, and, uh, but it's all for a good cause to try and raise money. Um, so uh, forms are available in the vestibule, and if you have any questions, please speak to Brian Gartland. I think that's all of the announcements. Um, let me just pray as we come into God's presence. Father, it is a privilege to come into your presence this morning, to know that as we still our hearts before you, that you promise to be with us and that you're here 
right amongst us. And Father, we pray that your presence would continue and that we would turn our eyes continually this morning upon Jesus. And Lord, that you would take something from your word or from the worship and encourage us or comfort us or challenge us or convict us. Lord, we just pray that we might meet with you this morning in every part of the service. And so we surrender it to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, Be Still for the Presence of the Lord is in this place. just read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 15 to 21. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay. When I was young, which was quite a long time ago, (laughs) we used to, uh, some friends and myself from Evangelical Youth Movement, we used to go down on a Saturday afternoon down to Corn Market. Some of you will remember the type of situation down there. You'd have had the Iron Hall over here. You'd have had the Legion of Mary over here. You'd have had the Harry Krishnas doing their stuff over here. And then there was us with a sketchboard. Uh, We used to do this uh, sketch. It was called the Chicken Sketch. And there'd be a stand-up guy who would stand there, and the first person would come along uh, as a plane, and they'd they'd make the noise of a plane and dive, and uh, and the guy would go, what on earth are you doing? I'm a plane. You're not a plane. Yes, I am a plane. Look, I've got wings, and, you know, I listen to my noise, and go, just because you sound like a plane and you're acting like a plane doesn't make you a plane. Then the next person, similarly, with a car would come rushing around and change the gears and screech, what do you do? I'm a car. No, just because you make the sound of a car doesn't mean that you're a car. And he would go disappointed. And then usually it was my turn. I usually do the chicken. (laughs) I got quite good at the chicken walk, you see, this funny chicken walk. So I used to come along and, I'm a chicken. No, you're not a chicken. Yes, I am. And I would attempt to lay an egg in front of corn. Everybody at corn market, and of course it wouldn't work. And uh, he'd go, no, just because you're acting like a chicken doesn't make you a chicken. And then there'd be a a Christian, or somebody anyway, with a a big Bible under their hand, real self-righteous, would walk along in front of this guy. What are you? Oh, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian? Yes. Why are you a Christian? How how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I read the Bible every day, and I say we pray in the morning, say we pray before I go to bed at night. I am a Christian. No, just because you do the things a Christian does doesn't make you a Christian. And that would sort of be, and then the guy would explain what it means to be a Christian. But Christian, the term Christian is, is quite a loaded term because it can mean so many different things to people. Some people say, I'm a Christian because I live in a Christian state. It's a Christian, that's the main religion of our state, of our country. Or somebody else, well, I go to church every week and I sing in the choir and so forth. But though, just because we do the things that a Christian would normally do doesn't make us a Christian. Now, the term Christian, as you see there, oh, no, you don't yet. It should be coming up. It's coming. Like my egg with a chicken. Is it not? It is. Hold on. No, everything seems in place. No, I'll just have to, I'll have to go on then. Um, basically, the, the Christian word, the, the Greek word is Christianos. Christianos. And it was first used 
not by Christians. It was used, funnily enough, by, by people who lived in Antioch. Antioch was a metropolitan city in Syria, and they had so many different faiths and so many different groups. This new people, these people that followed Jesus Christ, what are we going to call them? And they turned around and they said, ah, those Christianos, those Christians. And it meant belonging to Christ. And the idea was quite a derogatory term because they were saying, these guys, they're slaves of Christ. And slave and those, slavery was very disgraceful. It was a disgraceful thing. Those Christianos, those Christians. And uh, so... <laughs> Paul, whenever he was talking about Christians, he stayed away mainly from that term. It's only used three times in the New Testament. But what he referred to was being in Christ, in Christ Jesus. And he uses those terms over between that and being in the Lord. He uses them over 160 times. So the question is, are we in Christ? Are we slaves of Christ? The Christians actually were quite happy to talk about being slaves of Christ because Jesus is our Lord and we serve him. Now, Philippians 3, we'll be doing a wee bit of Philippians. And do you remember in Philippians 3, Paul points out that, you know, if, you know, I tried everything to get right with God, on my own strength, I did everything. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I kept the law. I was an incredible. I even persecuted the church. I did everything I possibly could to keep in good terms with God and to try and attain salvation. But I had to flush the whole thing down the toilet whenever Jesus Christ came along. Although those things molded me and were beneficial to me, it, with regard to me coming into faith in Christ, with regards to salvation, it stopped short. It stopped short. It wasn't good enough. It stopped short. And he, he says basically that he realized, I realized that my salvation did not depend upon something that I had done, but it depended entirely upon something that Jesus Christ had done in his death and his resurrection. And by me trusting in Christ, that's what made me a child of God. Now, there's a, a popular verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17, which Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. One of the most amazing miracles in creation is the transformation from a caterpillar to a beautiful butterfly. Like that is amazing. From an ugliness of ugliness as a caterpillar goes into its cocoon and out of it comes a beautiful butterfly. It's called metamorphosis. Such a change. And Paul is talking about when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, when we make him our Savior and our Lord, there's a transformation not on the outside, but on the inside. Our heart changes, our attitudes change. We want to live to honor Christ. There's a change in our hearts that is then reflected through our lives. And uh, electric lights are wonderful things. Like, we take them so much for granted, don't we? 
you know, you come in at night, and if there is no electricity on, then you start to appreciate what electricity is and what a light is. But what is the one critical thing for a lamp in your house? What is it that you need? It's simple. Don't be thinking of something really difficult. Just simple. What do you need to do if you're going to have a light? The switch or the plug, the plug needs to go in. The plug needs to go in. And when Paul's talking about in Christ, he's talking about being united in Christ. And Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus gives us offering eternal life. But for that to be applied to our lives, we need to put the plug in. We need to respond. We need to respond to what Christ has done. And uh, when we do that in faith and repentance and put our trust in him, invite him into our lives, then suddenly the light comes on. And it's of significance. And it is real to us. We apply it, what Christ has done to our lives. Listen to this wee verse of John, the disciple says, um, he, he says, um, let me see, hold on. As many as received him, that's, that's the application. As many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. And uh, even to them that believe on his name, not born of blood, not born in the way, normal way that we're born, not born of flesh, but born of the Spirit of God. And that's the transformation. That's what it means to be in Christ. And when you're in Christ, Christ is in you. And no matter what you go through, no matter what hurts you, you have in life, no matter what disappointments, no matter what bereavement, no matter what storms come in your life, you're in him, and he's in you, and he's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. So, um, of course, Jesus didn't have electricity back then, you know, but the way he put it, he used the vine, and he says, I'm the main stem of the vine, and you're the branch now, for that branch to live, it needs to connect. Otherwise, it dies off. A branch that's not connected to the main stem doesn't receive the sap, and it dies off. So in Christ, life. Out of Christ, death. But Christ came to bring us life. And in our response to him, in give for asking him for forgiveness, in asking him to be desperately needed Savior and Lord. We're connected in, and we have everything that Christ is wanting to, us to experience. Um, so let's just pray. That was all right, even without the PowerPoint. <laughs> let's just pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for Jesus, his death, his resurrection, but Lord, so often maybe we're understanding this in an intellectual way, but we don't realize that we need to apply it by responding to it. And Father, I pray, Lord, that if there is someone here this morning 
who feels, I've got to try and be a Christian. I've got to try and keep all the laws and the rules. I pray, God, that that would just go from them. I pray, Lord, that they would realize that just by coming just as they are, without one plea, but that Christ has died for me, that they would give their lives to you, that they would get right with you today, Lord, and that they would know that life that comes from the main stem that comes from Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to sing um, that very popular uh, song. It's uh, In Christ Alone, which is wonderful. And think about the words uh, in, in light of what I've been saying this morning.
It's been quite a week, not just in politics, but throughout the world. And uh, I would just like to, to lead us in prayer now about some of the things that are happening in our world and even in our own locality. Father, we we want to, for a moment, reflect upon the state of our world and just how in desperate, desperate need we are of your wisdom, your intervention, your guidance. And we think of Ukraine and the many people who are being killed every day, and yet the rest of the world seems to be getting on as normal. We think of Sydney, Australia, and the devastation which floods have brought there, while in areas of South Africa there's a drought and the difficulty that that brings. And Father, what a week in politics this past week has been, the eventual resignation of our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, and how that will have a knock-on effect in Europe and even in our own wee province here. And Lord, you ask us to pray for our leaders and how they really do need our prayers. Many at the moment are running around in total disarray, not knowing what tomorrow may bring. Father, we pray that your hand would be upon those in leadership. We pray for those in Westminster We pray that you guide who will be going into leadership. We pray, God, that it will be a godly man. We pray, God, that it will be a man whose the Spirit is upon him. God, we just pray that you would lead him and guide him or her, and that, God, that you would be with that man or woman. We pray that you may also guide this little province of ours. God, please give our leaders wisdom. Please give them grace, wisdom to know how to direct and support those who live here, and grace to forgive one another when mistakes are made, and humility to admit when mistakes are made. We pray also that this week, which can be, could be fraught with tension and bitterness, we pray that peace and common sense would reign, Father. And that our culture may be celebrated, but with wisdom and sensitivity and and, and goodness. Father, we we desperately need your hand upon our world. And we think of the needless bitterness that led to the shooting of Shinzo Abe, former prime minister of Japan. And God, we do pray that you would comfort his family. Please, God, bring some peace and sanity to our insane world. Thank you for Jesus, who is our hope, who is our rock, who we can depend upon through the storms and the winds and the tsunamis. And, Lord, that we can stand strong in Christ in a world of turmoil, in a world that seems so hopeless in a world that seems so much without you. We love you, Lord. 
and we surrender this church, we surrender our lives as individuals to you, may we be a strength. May we be a place of safety in Bangor, a place of safety in Ballycrocken. May we be a place of hope to those that we live among. In Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. And we're going to sing, uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And you might be here this morning, and this past week has been difficult for personal reasons in your own life. And, uh, but your heart, turn the eyes of your heart to Jesus Christ, and the things of earth will grow faintly dim in the light of his glory and grace. He's there for you in Christ. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Let's stand and worship. I'd like to continue our series um, with the Philippians this morning. Just see if the PowerPoint's working now. Is it, Chris? 
Yes, here we go. Praise the Lord. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 14 to 4, verse 1. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining for, towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as, as I have often told you before, and I say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us and mold us. Fill us. Use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. In Jesus' lovely name we pray. Amen. I don't think I've ever heard Paul so emotional in any of his letters, so affectionate, so pastoral, uh, as in this piece this morning. He writes, I'm going to start at the end of this passage, he writes in chapter 4, verse 1, My brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, Dear friends, see what I mean about his affection, his pastoral side, his love, his emotion. Um, I don't think I'd be mistaken in saying that the church at Philippi was one of Paul's favorite churches, uh, if not his most favorite. He's such a pastor. He's such a love for the congregation of Philippi. He's such concern for them. He says, stand firm, Philippi. Stand firm. You know, we see his pastoral nature throughout this letter, don't we? Chapter 1, we see him encourage them to, to look at life from God's perspective. Yes, I'm in prison, but God is using me even in prison. There's an upside. In chapter 2, he challenges them. He paints the picture of Jesus Christ in their minds, of Jesus uh, going and serving his Father here on earth and eventually leading them to the cross. And he challenges them by this picture to have the same attitude in service, to live for Christ in a way that there is nothing that's inconvenient for you to do and nothing too great or small. When Christ asks you to do it, you do it. And in chapter 3, he leads by example in running after Jesus Christ. Forgetting, he says, that which is behind, leaving buried that which is in his past, 
in order to focus on one thing and one thing only, his Savior, Jesus Christ. Such a longing to receive all that Christ has for him. He says, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on him. I'm going to press towards the goal until I have received every last thing that Christ died to give me. And here this morning he's saying, and now in this passage he's saying, let's all be of one mind, right? Let's seek Christ together. Let's press on. Let's run after Christ like we're in a race. Let's do it together. And he writes in verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. But he goes on to say, join together in following my example. You know, Paul's, you know, you might think he's boasting here. He's not boasting. He's not boasting. He's not saying, I've got it together. Come on, follow me. I've got it made. But we learn by watching people, don't we? We learn by watching people, like in sport, in every sport, whether it's golf or football or cricket or tennis, players learn by watching those who have more experience than they have and who've had more time to acquire the skills. Or if you're an apprentice, you know, you're, you're learning by watching someone who's qualified in the trade, whether it be bricklaying or a, a, a plumbing or joinery. You're watching someone, the tradesman at work, and you're learning from watching. So Paul's not boasting, and he's, he's saying, learn from me. But not just me, he, of course, includes Timothy. And, he's, and, he, and earlier in this letter, he says, Timothy's the type of guy who doesn't look for stuff from serving God. He's not looking for anything for himself. He's, wanting, he's always looking to see what he can invest in for God and invest in other people. He also refers to Ephroditus. Now, Ephroditus was the guy, a guy that the church at Philippi, they had prayed for Ephroditus and had sent him out to Paul to help Paul. And Paul is saying, listen, this guy nearly died serving Christ. He nearly died coming to help me. He says, so learn from people like this. Let them be your example. Let's seek Christ together. Let's press on. Let's run the race. Let's run after Christ. Let's do it, and let's do it together. And that's what we need to do in Ballycrock, and not leaving one person behind. Bring everybody together. You know, Paul recognizes the importance of keeping the fire lit, so to speak, keeping the focus on loving Jesus Christ and living for him. And that involves him spending time with God and with Christ each day, keeping his lines of communication open every day in prayer. You know, because when the fire in our hearts reduces to mere embers, we're in serious difficulty and in serious danger. And Paul knows that. When I was a teenager, I remember seeing lots of graffiti on the walls in Belfast. Um, but there was one graffiti slogan which has stuck with me, and it's the slogan, Apathy Rules Okay. Apathy Rules Okay. Apathy, by definition, being a lack, meaning a lack of interest, a lack of concern, a lack of enthusiasm. 
And it's heartbreaking, I'm sure, for God to see apathy rule and reign in our churches in Northern Ireland. And it's on the increase where there's a lack of concern and a lack of enthusiasm and a lack of interest. And Paul recognizes that when we lose the fire, when we lose our love for the Lord, we're in dangerous, dangerous waters. So he says, let's do this together. Let's press on together. Let's go after Christ together. Let's make sure that we are receiving from him absolutely everything that he was on that cross for us to give. Let's go after him together. He writes, my brothers and sisters, you whom I long for, my joy, my crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. But verse 18 then is an incredible, an incredible moment. Paul actually breaks down. He's writing his letter and he just, he can't help it. He breaks down into tears. He says, for as I have often told you before and I tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul, it's, he's breaking down because he knows these folk. They're people that have lived in Philippi. It's very likely the people that have been in the church in Philippi. And for them, perhaps the gospel had nothing, meant nothing more than just an intellectual exercise rather than a heart choice. And he writes... Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Isn't that so sad? To actually hear the gospel and want it, but to live as enemies of the cross of Christ. The New King James Version, this translates lie, live as walk. They're living, they're walking. Their walk is against the teaching of Christ. Oh, they might have their doctrine, Right? They might be able to cross their T's, dot their I's when it comes to their doctrine, but they are living, they are walking as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's easy to get waylaid today in our society, isn't it? I'm sure we can all put our hands up. I know I can. To have been led away from God. Doesn't Peter write, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Looking for someone who's struggling with their faith. Looking for someone who's struggling in their life because of the circumstances of life which have been difficult for them. Looking for someone that he can just isolate and make them feel more alone than ever. An easy target. Temptation, by definition, is something which is tempting. <laughs> it wouldn't be temptation if it wasn't tempting. If there wasn't a strong desire inside us to do it. You can tell by the shape of my body that I've never been tempted to do a marathon. 
and uh, it's just not something I want to do. So I'm never tempted to do a marathon. Uh, the thing is, the enemy knows our weaknesses. He knows what buttons to push. He knows where, how he can try and move you away from God and into sin. He knows the right buttons to push. And Paul here is referring to men and women who have not just sinned once, but it's gone on and they've just totally turned their backs on God and it's continual. And they've moved away. And Paul says, I'm speaking to the rest of you church at Philippi. I want you to stand firm. I want you to be on guard. I want you to get into the word of God. I want you to pray. I want you to keep those lines of communication with the Lord open. I want you to be fresh with him every day. He says, he goes on to say of those folk, with tears still in his eyes, in verse 19, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind, you see, is set on earthly things. And obviously, there are earthly things we have to have our minds set on. But it's not right when those earthly things take our focus away from Christ. He says their destiny is destruction. What he's saying here is if these folk, if they keep on going the way they're going, there's only one road. And it's leading to eternal separation from God. And then he says their God is their stomach. He's not just referring to like, like they like their grub. Um, he's referring to all their bodily desires, their sensual desires. And some of those desires God has given to us and are beautiful and good. But it's the abuse of such desires. It's where they become so central in a person's life, even in a Christian's life, that they have the effect of displacing Christ from our lives. Paul wants to warn the church to beware of any passion, whether it be good passion, whether it be bad passion, anything that displaces your passion for following after Christ. He says, and their glory is in their shame. They are specific references to an obsession with sex and immoral practices. And then he finishes that verse, their mind is set on earthly things. May I challenge both non-Christian and Christian this morning by saying this, And it's, going to, it's a very obvious statement. When you're born into this world, there's no way that you're getting out alive. Once you're born as a little baby into this world, there's no way that you're getting out of this world alive. How we will die, we don't know. It could be an accident, a disease, old age, we don't know, but we will all die. It's a cheerful old preacher this morning. <laughs> but I'm just stating it before you what you know. Because if I know this cruel fact, then common sense says to me, I need to get ready. I need to be sure that when I leave this world, I am right with God. If I know that the storm is coming and such a storm will come to all of us, 
then I want to be sure that I've got my life jacket securely fastened, that I'm ready. I want to make sure I'm in Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, well, God bless you. And I really thank you for being here. I really thank you from the bottom of my heart that you are here this morning. But I want you to think about this. And if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, but you know that you've been stretching the grace of God like a rubber band for the last number of weeks or years, and you've been taking his grace for granted, and you've been going on and dishonoring him in the life that you live, then I want you to think about this also. Seek Christ out. Make things right with him this morning. Is your mind set on earthly things with little thought for eternity? Or is your mind set on home, on heaven? But Paul then, he, he lifts the mood a bit, and um, he reminds the church at Philippi, of a wonderful truth in verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. As I've said before, Philippi was referred to as little Rome. It looked like Rome. Uh, The buildings reflected Roman architecture, and uh, the roads reflected Roman design. There was the Roman culture lived out in Philippi. The citizens, they saw the emperor in Rome as the only one to worship. They're citizens of Rome, and yet they live here in Philippi about a thousand miles away from Rome. And Paul uses this to illustrate his point, but our citizenship is in heaven. We're living here on earth. But we, our citizenship, our home, where we're heading, is in heaven. Our passport is heaven. My passport is being stamped by Christ himself, and one day I'll be going home. Paul is saying our citizenship is in heaven. You know, on, on occasions when I describe the Old Testament, I describe it as being like, likened to the moon at night. The moon has no light in and of itself, but it reflects the light of the sun down on the earth. And likewise, the Old Testament doesn't have light in and of itself, but as God's Spirit shines upon it and reveals to us, it casts light into the New Testament to show us that we're on the right track, that God is fulfilling what he said in the Old See, let me give you an example of that. When you think of Moses, what do you think of? You think of him being a guide. You think of him being someone who used to bring the people of God out of Egypt and to the promised land. You associate Moses with the law of the Old Testament. He got that in Sinai. Um, but I want you to think about this. Moses never brought the people into the promised land. He wasn't allowed God said, you can go and have a look at it. And he climbs up this mountain, he looks over, and he sees the promised land, but he never goes into it. He dies. Never. The person that needs to 
take it on from there as a man called Joshua. And the Hebrew for Joshua, it means savior. So, and the, the, the Greek name for Jesus is savior. Joshua and Jesus are the same name, except Joshua is Hebrew. Jesus is a Greek word. But even in that, we're being shown that the law, in trying to live your life as best you possibly can to get there your way, your foot into heaven, that keeping the law, it, it comes short. As Moses came short. And you don't get in to the promised land by keeping the law. Moses never got in. But what we needed, what they needed was a Joshua, was a Jesus to lead them into the promised land. You see that? That's just a little pointer. That's just one example of how the Old Testament, when God's Spirit shines on the Old Testament, He reflects something in the Old Testament and gives light into the new. Paul says, we need a Savior. And isn't that why Jesus said, I am the way, I am the way, the only way. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one arrives in that promised land apart from coming through me. Verse 20, Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be him who leads me home. And finally, and you've been listening really well this morning. This is the last verse that I'm doing. Verse 21, and isn't this wonderful? who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they would be like his glorious body. In other words, Christ's resurrection body is a prototype showing us what our bodies will be like. These weak, creaking, broken, pain-ridden, bones and body of ours will be transformed to be no longer weak, to be no longer broken, to be no longer filled with pain, but will be transformed into immortal bodies that have no need of medication. But what glorious bodies, Paul says, they will be and they'll last us for eternity. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, we shall all be changed. 1 Corinthians 15. The body sown in corruption, hmm, the victory raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, broken, Cancer-ridden, raised a spiritual body, good for eternity. 
Death is swallowed up in victory. (laughs) Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, which has hung over man for so long, and Jesus dies on the cross and rises from the dead. Death is swallowed up in victory. It's like victory swallows up death and gives a big belch and says, what's for, what's for dessert? <laughs> it's wonderful. It really is incredible. This is the greatest victory ever in the history of all eternity. And it certainly deserves a hallelujah. Can I hear hallelujah? <laughs> hallelujah! Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Goodness sake. If somebody said you, you were going to die tomorrow and then suddenly told you, no, I got it wrong, you're going to live, just take this, would you not go, hallelujah? hallelujah. That's a bit better. <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you. The death has been swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Lord, that even even now, Lord, when some may be sitting here and their aches and pains and they're worried, Lord, about hospital appointments, and so forth in the following week. We thank you, Lord, for your presence with them. We thank you, Lord, that you're with them, and if, you, if they are in you, then you are in them, and that is sealed, and they, you will never forsake them, never leave them, but you will bring them home one day with a new body, a pain-free body, Lord Jesus, we thank you. All that you have done for us has come from a a love in your heart that we cannot fathom. We can understand a little of love, Lord, but there's a depth in your love that we cannot fathom. It is deeper than the deepest ocean. And we pray, Lord, that we would trust you, that we're in your cans and in your care forevermore. Amen. I'm going to stand and finish. My hope is built on nothing less.
hardship and the Holy Spirit. Be with us, Lord. Grant us the 